Good morning. Welcome to Rooftop. My name is Matt, uh, one of the pastors here at Rooftop. In the 1997 movie Liar Liar, uh, the movie starts with a young boy uh, named Max who is describing to his class at school what his, what his dad does for a living. Uh, he says that his dad is a liar. <laughs> the teacher's a little confused. She raises her eyebrows, she's like, your dad's a liar? And he says, well, he dresses up in a suit and he goes to court all day. She says, oh, oh, your dad is a lawyer. And Max shrugs his shoulders, not knowing if there is a difference. <laughs> in fact, Max's dad, Fletcher, played by Jim Carrey, is a lawyer and a liar. And Fletcher, the lying lawyer, has disappointed his son yet again. After promising to show up to Max's birthday party, Fletcher fails to make it. And Max is devastated at his dad's constant inability to keep promises, to keep his word. So as he blows out his birthday cake candles at the party, Max makes one wish, that his dad can only tell the truth. Uh, the wish is granted by the Hollywood gods. <laughs> and as you can tell from that scene, hilarity ensues. Now, I know that, that lawyers have a certain reputation as liars, but it is undeserved, and I want to defend any lawyers that there are in, in, the, in the room right now. Uh, it, it's not just lawyers that struggle with the truth. Humans in general have this same reputation. We have a, a reputation as liars and people who cannot keep our word because to a certain extent, that's exactly the truth. I don't know how scientists determined this, but according to, to, to scientific studies, the average human being lies 1.65 times per day. And that's probably low because that's based on self-reporting. So of course we're gonna lie uh, to researchers. Uh, we, we also live in, in, a, in a culture in which truth and reliability are less valued. Our, our political, our media, even our religious leaders lie to us without accountability or consequence. And as a result, trustworthiness is on the decline, as we all feel a little bit less compelled to be truthful. Uh, apparently, according to a Pew study recently, 63% of Americans, only 63% of Americans, said they had trust in government leaders to tell them the truth or keep their promises. But it's not just institutions that we don't trust. In fact, in the same study, 71% of Americans said that interpersonal trust is on the decline these days. We just don't trust each other anymore. Uh, we have broken too many promises. We have fudged the truth too many times. And the consequences of our lack of trust can be devastating. I mean, how can government function if we don't trust it? Uh, how, how can we be a church family if we don't trust one another to speak the truth and to follow through on our word? Uh, how can we be good dads or moms or aunts or uncles or friends if, if our little boy doesn't trust that when we say we were going to be home for the birthday party, we will be. I want to talk to you about trust this morning. I want to talk to you about keeping promises. I want to talk to you about honesty. And I want to talk to you about these things because they are very important in life and faith and community. And I also want to talk to you about these things because Jesus does. Uh, we are working our way slowly through the Sermon on the Mount here at Rooftop uh, past few months in a series called Religion Redefined. If you don't know what the Sermon on the Mount is, it's uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And it's Jesus' big manifesto in which he lays down the radical demands that God has for his people. And as we've seen uh, over the 
study, of course, the study, Jesus talks about a lot of different things in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about uh, marriage, divorce, anger, lust. We're going to talk about other things, uh, prayer, money, um, fasting, all sorts of things. But he also talks about honesty. He talks about trust. Uh, let me read you the passage that we're going to study the, this morning on those topics. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the Lord's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now this passage uh, might not be as uh, salacious as some of the ones that we've studied in recent weeks on like lust and divorce, but I think this paragraph might be actually broadly, more broadly relevant to us in sort of an everyday way. But we do have to dig through it a little bit and understand what Jesus is getting at when he talks about, you know, swearing and oaths and vows and heaven and earth and footstools, and hair and white or black. So let's just dig in. First, remember what Jesus is doing in this particular section of the sermon. Jesus was confronting the Pharisees for their loose interpretation of the Jewish law. The Jews were very proud of the Jewish law. They were people of the law. When I say law, I basically mean the Old Testament, the Hebrew law. Uh, Jews considered themselves to have been recipients of the law that God gave them, explaining how to worship and how to live. Now, the Pharisees were a, a group of Jewish leaders who were very legalistic at keeping the letter of the law, but missing the spirit of the law. They, they were lowering the bar of the law so that they could clear it without having to work too hard. I'll give me an example. Last week, we talked about the, 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 law, the laws in the, the Torah about a divorce. The Jews believed that God gave them permission to divorce their wives. Uh, which it's in, it's in there. Um, so they were using these Jewish laws, though, to, to find a reason to divorce their spouse for just about anything, including toast burning, like we talked about last week, just about anything. Jesus comes along and points out that just because God gives you permission to divorce your spouse in the Old Testament doesn't mean that you should. In fact, within the law, you can kind of see God's vision for what marriage was like always meant to be, which is a, a fruitful, fulfilling, lifelong relationship. And that's what's happening in this passage, too. So not only did the Jews have laws on divorce, but they actually had laws on vows and oaths. An oath or a vow is a witness to the truth of something or a promise to do something. Now, oaths and vows are something that humans in every culture rely on as a way to hold people accountable to the truth of what they are saying. We take oaths because we know that being honest and sticking to our promises is hard. Like I said, people lie at least 1.65 times a day, including us. 
We know that about each other and about ourselves. So when the stakes are really high, we use oaths and vows to increase the chance that people feel bound by what they're saying. We swear on Bibles. We swear oaths in front of altars. Uh, we cross our hearts. We hope to die. <laughs> we stick a needle in our eye. Has anybody ever done that, though? I don't know why we say it. And the people of the Bible did this, too. They made oaths. Uh, the book of Numbers, for example, says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself to a pledge, he must not break his word, but do everything he said. A book of Deuteronomy says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Make an oath, keep it, or sin. And the psalmist says in Psalm 50, sacrifice, thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High. So the law is very clear about keeping oaths that you make. Jesus even acknowledged this in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you have heard that it was said, do not break your oath, but fulfill the vows you have made. Jesus says, you've heard this, you know this. It's in the law. Don't break your oaths. Be trustworthy. If you say you're going to show up to your son's birthday party, show up, that's the law. <laughs> Be trustworthy. Now, what were the Pharisees doing with this law? How are they lowering the bar on it? Well, Jesus kind of, hint, kind of hints at this. He, he goes on. He says, But I tell you, do not swear any oath at all, either by heaven, for his God's throne room, or by the earth, for his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for his city, the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. So Jesus' instruction here give us a little bit of a glimpse into how the Pharisees were abusing the law. You see, when they made oaths or vows, they would take those oaths in the name of something. Like, I swear by heaven, or I swear by God, or I swear by the earth, or, or by Jerusalem. They were invoking God, or something of God's, as a witness to the oath. They were inviting God to punish them if they broke the oath. Sort of like us saying, I swear on my grandma's grave. This is grandma's grave, right there. Went to Google, grandma's grave. There's grandma's grave. I swear by my grandma's grave. Why would we do that? We are swearing on our grandma's grave, lest we be lying or break the oath. Our grandma will rise from the dead and spank our little booty, as she used to do, for not telling the truth. And this is exactly where the Pharisees were getting creative. They had developed different levels of oaths that they felt more or less bound to. Uh, swearing by God was one thing, for example. You take your oaths to God seriously. But, you know, swearing by Jerusalem, it's just Jerusalem. Uh, and swearing by your head, you could do that, but it's sort of a lesser oath. I mean, it's just your head. You can't change the color of your hair. At least you couldn't. Now, it's just for care, just for men products. You can do all sorts of things to your hair. Basically, the Pharisees were finding ways to make oaths. They had levels of oaths. They were finding ways to make oaths so that they could break them. They developed a system of oaths that, they were, that were more or less binding. They were cheating. They are crossing their fingers behind their back. Crossing their toes, crossing their eyes, crossing their tongue. 
they're cheating. Now, before we judge them, <laughs> stupid Pharisees, right? Let's pause and reflect on how we do the exact same thing. How so? Well, what were they doing? They were looking for ways to appear honest and trustworthy without actually being honest and trustworthy. And you know that we do this. I mean, what do you do when you get caught in a lie or breaking a promise? Do you fess up and admit your mistake? Or, or do you just look for explanations and excuses so that you can look reliable? When you miss a deadline at work, do you blame your circumstances? Do you blame your coworker who kind of slowed you down? Or do you take responsibility? Or when you made a promise to someone that you're no longer interested in keeping, like, you know, you made an agreement to be somewhere at a certain time, or you made an arrangement with a neighbor, or I don't know, you made a marriage vow. What do you do? Try to get out of it? Find a loophole on your commitment? We all want to look reliable and trustworthy without actually being reliable and trustworthy. I, I do this too. This is something I do. We're all sinners here, including me. I am chief sinner among you. Pastor sinner, call me that. It'll be true. Here's something I do. Uh, one of the ways that I try to look trustworthy without actually being trustworthy is offering excuses for being late to things. I went to Google Pastor who is late. <laughs> this is a pastor who is late. Uh, I'm getting better at this, but it is a problem. Uh, I schedule a lot of meetings with people, and I'm oftentimes late to them. This also makes me a hypocrite because I get irritated when people show up late to meetings. <laughs> but when I'm late to something, I'll show up, and I can't really pretend I'm late because like, it's obvious that I'm late. So I'll say something like, sorry, got held up. Sorry, you know, a lot going on. That's barely the truth. The truth is that I was doing something else that I consciously or unconsciously, uh, unconsciously decided was more important than honoring this person's time. But I don't want to say that. I don't want to say, sorry, I deprioritized you <laughs> based on my own exaggerated sense of self-importance. I don't want to say that. So I say, sorry, got held up. Or a lot going on. They're like, yeah, I know, busy pastor. I'm like, yeah, busy pastor. I want to look reliable without having to be reliable. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They wanted to define righteousness so low that they could clear the bar without having to jump too high. So what does Jesus say to this tendency? Theirs and ours. Well, we've read it. He says, but I tell you, do not swear any oath at all. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Don't make oaths at all, he says. No vows, no promises. No cross your heart, hope to die promises. If your problem is that you can't keep promises, don't make promises. Now, what does he mean? Is he telling people not to make any oaths at all? Do not swear any oath at all? <laughs> Looks like it. If so, that's interesting. Maybe you know that there are different sects and uh, denominations that actually do not practice uh, oaths or vows. They do not take vows or oaths. 
Jehovah's Witnesses, Mennonites, uh, they won't pledge allegiance to the flag. They won't necessarily get sworn in in courts. Why not? I don't know if you knew this. Did you know this? Yeah, there are certain Christian sects and denominations that do not pledge oaths. Uh, well, because of the verse that was previous on the screen. <laughs> so is that what Jesus is saying? Don't take oaths. If it is, it's interesting, and God also might be a little bit of a hypocrite, because why? God makes plenty of oaths in Scripture. God is making constant covenants and agreements and oaths of all kinds. In the book of Hebrews, for example, the author describes our oath-making God because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. What did he do? He confirmed it with an oath. He swore by himself. I swear to God, God said. God's the only one that can do that. I can't swear by myself. I swear to Matt. Be like, uh, don't care. <laughs> so then, what does Jesus mean when he tells us to not swear oaths at all? Well, at this point, we need to remember something that we just keep running into in the Sermon on the Mount. We need to remember that Jesus uses overstatement for effect here. The technical word is hyperbole, which is a, an exaggeration for a purpose. Uh, just like Jesus does not actually want us to cut off our hands or gouge out our eyes because they cause us to sin, and just like Jesus doesn't actually think that if you get married, you are married forever, no matter what, so also Jesus doesn't actually want us to never make oaths or promises or agreements. He knows that society requires contracts and promises and handshakes and wedding vows. God uses them. But if Jesus doesn't want us to stop making promises then, what does he really want? Well, what he wants is to help us see what's behind the law on this point. You see, the purpose of this law, these laws in the Old Testament, wasn't to help us understand when we can break oaths and when we can't. The purpose of the Old Testament law is to help us see what God cares about. And what does God care about? God cares about honesty. God cares about keeping promises. God cares about trustworthiness. God cares about truth. He cares about these things because he knows that it's best for us. Our relationships and our churches and our world will operate better if we could just trust that one another is telling the truth. And he wants, to care, wants us to care about these things just as he does. He wants us to be so committed to the truth that we trust each other implicitly. That when someone says yes, we know what they mean. What do they mean? Yes, because they said it. And when someone says no, we know, oh, they mean no, because they never mean anything other than no when they say no. That's what Jesus says. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus wants us to be people who say what we mean and mean what we say and are known for it. So that contracts and handshake deals and vows and oaths aren't even necessary. Oh, we don't need to do that. You said it. Unfortunately, we are not known for that. We are known from the opposite, for breaking our word. Uh, years ago, uh, Michelle and I were selling a house, and we were conducting some real estate business with the person who was buying our house. And uh, we needed a very specific move-in date. And we got them to agree to the move-in date. It was over the phone. Got them to agree to the move-in date and worked out really well. And then about a week later, they called us and said, that move-in date doesn't work for us. We're going to need to do it here. Um, and we said, well, we've like made arrangements like with trucks and people, and that's just not going to work. We had, a, we had an agreement 
And they, they actually said, well, we didn't have it in writing, so. Our words don't mean what, they say, what we say they mean. Our yeses don't mean yes. They mean maybe, probably, it'll depend. Our noes don't mean no. They mean this or that or something other than that. And we all know this. We all know that people don't mean what they say. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was taking my daughter to get her allergy shots after school. Uh, fun daughter day experience. And uh, on, on our way there, uh, Miranda asked me, she's like, Dad, can we, after shots, get a, a, a treat, a post-shot treatment? And uh, she's like, she wanted to go to Chick-fil-A. She wanted to go to Chick-fil-A. So she's like, can we go to Chick-fil-A? I'm like, um, maybe. And she sighed. She looked out the window forlornly. And she said, maybe means no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she called me. She knows me. Yeah, maybe means no. Our yeses don't mean yes. Our noes don't mean no. And our maybes don't mean maybe. Even our kids understand this. Now, why? Why do we have such a hard time saying what we mean? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know that people lie for all kinds of reasons, some better than others. Some of us are actually benevolent liars. We lie for reasons we think that are good. Uh, we lie to avoid difficult situations. We lie not to hurt people's feelings. We lie to, you know, not get in trouble. And we break promises for lots of reasons, too. We break promises because we don't know what we're signing up for. Uh, we got in over our heads. We want to look trustworthy. We, we lie for all kinds of reasons. But whatever might be the reasons that we lie or break promises, Jesus is telling us we just shouldn't. We need to live differently. That's how the world does things. His people shouldn't. We should be trustworthy people who keep our promises no matter what. Now, how do we get there? How do we become honest, trustworthy people? That's the real question. Uh, you can't just flip a switch. Lying and breaking promises is just part of what it means to be a human being. It's sort of in our constitution. We lie. How do we change? Well, in general, the way people actually change, they encounter the Spirit of God in Scripture and community. That's how people really change. It's the Holy Spirit who is responsible for transforming us into trustworthy people. You need to understand this. Sinners cannot change themselves. That's not how that works. We need God's help, and we have God's help in prayer, in Scripture, in confession, in each other, in baptism. But while it is the Spirit that transforms us, let me give you some strategies this morning that I think can help when it comes to being honest, trustworthy people. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on each of these. I'm just going to briefly mention them in case you want to go back and think about them later in preaching school. We call this a shotgun sermon. Just shoot a lot of little things out there and hope that maybe one of them hits you. Uh, I'm, six points. Six how-tos for you on how to become honest, trustworthy people, all brought to you by letter C. Letter C has been feeling quite neglected lately, so I'm going to enlist him this morning. Or her. I don't know what gender C is. <laughs> Number one, be committed to humbly learning the truth. Be committed to humbly learning the truth. Honest, trustworthy people have an obsession with learning the truth. 
They know that being honest requires learning the truth about anything, however inconvenient or uncomfortable it might be. Trustworthy people are obsessive about facts, the facts about themselves, the facts about the situation, the facts about the world. I should say, though, that it's important to learn the truth. We need to be humble about how much of the truth we may or may not truly know. Each of us have very limited information about anything. You know the saying, the more you know, the more you realize, the more you don't know. Even our sources of truth are unfortunately not always trustworthy. We follow a media that always has a slant. You know this, right? And we are being slanted in the way that the media is slanted. Uh, probably you know this, but if we go to Google to research something, Google knows us. Google knows exactly who we are, and Google sends us the information that it knows we want to see to reinforce our pre-existing beliefs so that we keep using Google. That's how that works. That's how the internet works. That's why we need to be committed to humbly learning the truth from lots of different perspectives, realizing there's a lot we don't know. Somebody told me this week, there's always three sides to a story, right? Your side, their side, and the truth. Are we humble enough to realize that we might not have the truth? And are we committed enough to the truth that we'll do the work to learn it? Learn the truth. Two, be careful with words and promises. Our words get us into trouble, right? Words get us into trouble. Have you ever been in an argument and you overstated your point. You always do this. You never do this. And you lose your standing. Like, oh, there you go, exaggerating again. You lose your inability to make the point that actually might be an important one worth making. Exaggerations don't help the case you're trying to make. Uh, this is one of my favorite ones. I hear this as a pastor a lot at church. People come up to me and say, I've talked to a lot of people and we have this concern. Like, oh, a lot of people? How many people? Well, you know, like me, my eight-year-old, <laughs> my eight-year-old's friend at church. You know, like maybe, maybe three. Oh, it's called the Invisible Army. You ever heard about the Invisible Army? I got a, a, a large army behind me making the point that I'm trying to make. I'm like, I don't, I don't, see, I don't see the army. Well, they're invisible. Now, it might be a perfectly valid point to make, but can we, just, can we just talk about the point that you want to make? And we need to be careful of our promises, too. Uh, don't make promises you can't keep. Think about them first. Don't overcommit. Uh, have you heard the story of Jephthah? Jephthah, story in the, in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. Jephthah promised to sacrifice to God the first thing that walked out of his house as he returned from a victory. So if God granted him victory on the battlefield, he would sacrifice to God the first thing that walked out of his house. It was a ridiculous vow. Well, I don't know if he thought like a pig or a goat was going to walk out the front door of his house. Why would they be living in the house? It is a ridiculous vow. He gets home after vic being victorious, and what walks out of his house? His daughter. He sacrifices a daughter to keep this stupid vow. Now, he shouldn't have had to sacrifice his daughter, but he shouldn't have made this stupid vow in the first place. 
Be careful of the promises that you make. Number three, be conscious of God's omniscience. This picture, I love this picture, by the way. Do you know what it's called? It's called the eye of God. Be conscious of God's omniscience, who sees. Uh, One of the reasons people swear in God's name is because they are invoking God's knowledge of the situation. When they say, I swear to God, we're inviting him to punish us if we're lying, as he's the only one who truly sees, sees the truth of the matter. Now, regardless of whether or not we should swear to God, it's sort of another question, but the sentiment is correct. We need to remember that even if others don't know the truth, God sees, God knows, and we will answer for it. God knows what we said. God knows what we meant. God knows what we did. He knows everything. He's omniscient, and we're going to be accountable for him, to him. Here's another upsetting Bible story. You heard a story about Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. There was this couple that came into church to make an offering. Uh, They lied about how much they were giving. They said, we're giving this huge amount, but actually it was a small amount compared to everything they could have given. And what happened? They died. Died, got slain. Right there in church, right there by the blue offering box, back in the back. (laughs) That's where they died. Why? Because of the size of their gift? No, because they were lying about it. This is what Peter says. You have lied, not just to human beings, but to God. The story is intense. But I believe it's a warning to us that even if we're lying to ourselves about who we are, what we're doing, what we've done, God knows all about us. And as a judge, he will judge us. Be conscious of God's omniscience. He knows what we're saying, what we've done, what we're going to do. But, number four, be candid about your failures. Yes, God knows when we lie, but he wants to forgive us for it if we're honest. And if you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, you know that they had the chance to come clean. Forgiveness was right there for them, but they held on to their lies. The way to become trustworthy is to first candidly admit that we are not always that. We lie sometimes, but this can be a liberating experience. I mean, it can be liberating to acknowledge, I I can't keep my promises. I have the hardest time telling the truth. I'm a liar. Can't be trusted sometimes. This is actually somewhat counterintuitive, but we tend to trust people who are honest about their own failures. When we admit that we can be unreliable or that we exaggerate, we are actually practicing honesty that other people notice and respect. We open ourselves up to their help and their accountability. That helps people learn to trust us. So be candid with others about just how reliable you are or you aren't, or just how much you think you might know what you think you might know. Number five, be compassionate with the facts. Years ago, I I read this uh, teeny bop, teeny bop uh, uh, post-apocalyptic book series called Divergent. Anybody read Divergent? But it was this post-apocalyptic world in which uh, humanity was broken up into five factions, and each of the factions emphasized a certain human value. And one of my favorite factions was the, the, the faction of Candor. All the people of Candor, uh, they valued honesty and truth. They all wore black and white because truth is black and white. The problem with the people of Candor, though, is that they kept getting into fights. 
because they, they forgot that other people, uh, they, they actually have feelings. <laughs> it reminds me of another one of my favorite uh, movies, Interstellar. We know Interstellar is my best movie of all time. Um, it's a futuristic sci-fi movie in which humans and robots travel to another part of the galaxy together, and the humans build these robots to have certain settings, including honesty settings. Why? Because they learn that people can't always take the unvarnished truth, especially from robots. So most of the robots were set at 75% honesty. They didn't lie, but they only shared a certain percentage of the truth that they thought the humans could take. Now, I'm not saying that we should, like, adjust our truth settings. If anything, all of us need to go up. We're down at, like, 30%. We need to go up. In fact, one of the things we talk about here at Rooftop is that you got to get to that last 10% of the truth. Like, a lot of times when we're having honest conversations, we'll get, like, to 90%, but, the, like, the last 10%, that's, like, the most important part that you got to say, get to the last 10%. What I'm saying, though... Is that we got to remember people have feelings. As much as Jesus cares about truth, the truth is not a weapon. He cares about compassion and gentleness. I have to remember this as a pastor. As a pastor, you, you learn a lot about how people work and who people are. You kind of see into who they are. Uh, and sometimes they're ready to hear it. Sometimes they're not. Maybe their soul isn't ready. Maybe they get defensive. Maybe I'm just wrong. Either way, you got to practice candor and compassion. And then lastly, be courageous with your commitments. Honesty requires courage. It takes courage to speak the truth. It takes courage to honor your commitments. Speaking the truth sometimes hurts. Keeping your word can make your life worse. This is why we have witness protection programs. <laughs> because sometimes when people tell the truth, they become targets. Sometimes when we tell the truth, people don't like us. Sometimes when we keep our promises, it's painful, it's inconvenient. We have to make sacrifices. This is something Jesus understands. At the end of the day, do you know why Jesus calls us to be honest, trustworthy people? Because God himself is honest and trustworthy. God keeps his promises, no matter what. Jesus shows us this. Centuries before Jesus came to earth, God promised to come rescue his people from sin and death. He made a vow. He made a covenant. And he knew what he was signing up for. He knew that saving us from our sins would involve great pain. It would involve the death of his one and only son, but he made a promise. He put it in writing. He signed it with his blood. He crossed his heart, hoped to die, and then came and did that. He didn't want to. Even on the night uh, that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus was like look, trying to look for a way out of the deal. Like, Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way that this cup can pass by me? Can I get out of this? And he realized he couldn't. So he kept the Father's word. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. All of them. Your sins. My sins. Jesus had the courage to stick by his promise no matter what the cost. Why? Because it's who God is. He keeps his word. As the book of Numbers says, God is not man that he should lie. We do that. Not a son of man that he should change his mind. We do that. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? It's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? 
No. God is a God of his word. And just as importantly, God is a God of love, a God of compassion. He kept his promise because it was the only way that you and I could be forgiven and live forever. God didn't want to leave us sitting lonely at the table before our birthday cake, wondering if our father was going to show up. A loving father doesn't do that. A loving father shows up where he knows he needs to be. So did he. He showed up on earth. He showed up at the party. And here's the thing. Not only did he show up, but guess what? He will again. Because not only did God promise that he was going to come, God promised he was going to come again. He made that promise. He's going to keep it. As Peter writes, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's his example for us. He kept his promises, so should we. He told the truth, so should we. He's not a liar. He's not a lawyer. He's a trustworthy father. We're his kids, called to be trustworthy too, and that's the truth.